This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 198, Gary Coles on Hypnosis for Cancer Patients. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Once again, Happy New Year. As we said last week here on the program, it's Jason Lynette with an amazing conversation, this time with Gary Coles directly over from the UK. I first met Gary by way of the HypnoThoughts Live convention, got to briefly hang out recently at the UK Hypnosis Convention, and it's about time getting him on the program. And you're going to hear an incredible story in terms of initially doing some training, finding some uh, skeptical yet profound results from the hypnotic process and kind of stumbling into a specific niche market of working with cancer patients. The whole story of that really was a market that found him and then finding here are the ways to go about doing it and an amazing conversation in terms of looking at how the educational process was, at least at one point, over in the UK, actually being able to go through a master's level education through a university as a hypnotist, a program which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but there are some pioneers helping to to restart such a thing. So inside of this conversation, there's going to be some takeaways around looking at how do you define what specific markets you work with? How do we communicate differently in different styles from one market to another? Uh, how do we really work to properly build a business inside of the medical model as a completely complementary integrative service as opposed to being something so far off to the side? Uh, the whole mindset is we're going to talk about here of really being the peer within that environment rather than just the vendor who's coming in trying to offer something entirely else. Just some really cool takeaways inside of this conversation. The links to Gary's website are, of course, going to be over on the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com. We'll also link to his upcoming uh, uh, pre-conference, I believe, class that's going to be happening at HypnoThoughts Live 2019, getting into some of the more uh, release hypnotherapy streamlined techniques, as he's going to talk about here in in this conversation. And if you're really looking at the aspects of how do we work with people going through medical situations, this is a conversation you really need to hear. Also, while you're online, of course, it's coming very soon. Head over to worksmartbusiness.com, which if you're listening before the book launches, heading over to that site is going to give you access to a digital copy of the book before it launches. If you're listening after the book launches in late January, uh, that's going to redirect likely over to the Amazon website. We can get a copy of the book over from there. It's basically taking my entire journey as a self-employed business person, an entrepreneur, and from the whole premise that if I can do these things that I've done in this hypnosis community, uh, in a field where oftentimes we have to convince people that we're not going to make them cluck like a chicken and all these other things, to take the same knowledge, to take the same journey and bring that out to a much larger business community other folks can replicate that success even greater. And while not necessarily a hypnosis book, uh, it is entirely a chronicling of what I've done to build the hypnotic business empire that I'm now operating. So check that out, worksmartbusiness.com. And with that, let's jump directly into this conversation. This is session number 198, Gary Coles on Hypnosis for Cancer Patients. 
Uh, mine is quite an unusual one, I think, compared to a lot of other people. Uh, I mean, most hypnotherapists I meet, they, they always have this idea of I want to help people and I want to do this, and I always had a great hankering to do it. Um, I, I'm almost the, the complete accidental hypnotherapist. Uh, <laughs> I think that I, that I suddenly found it was something that I was very good at. Um, the, the whole story behind it is in about up until about 18, 18 19 years ago, um, I had a completely different career. Um, I was an IT consultant in the oil industry, uh, you know, probably about as far removed from hypnotherapy as you can get. Um, I ended up, due to circumstances, company being sold, ended up being made redundant, but uh, not in a situation where I had to find other work to do uh, particularly quickly. Um, so I had no idea what I wanted to do, apart from the fact that I quite fancied working for myself. Um, it was around this time of year, interestingly enough, and I thought, okay, Christmas time's coming up. Um, I'll set up a web store to sell books for Christmas. So I needed some sort of uh, income, so I thought I'll set up a web store, sell books. Uh, I did that for Christmas. January came. And I thought, what do people buy in January? And I had no idea. And suddenly, somebody offered me a job lot of weight loss and quit smoking hypnotherapy CDs. And they sold incredibly well. Uh, and that sort of pricked my ears up a little bit to thinking, well, actually, I didn't realize it was quite as popular. Um, so, But I was still quite skeptical at that stage about hypnotherapy generally anyway. Um, but um, I thought I had books on it, as you do as a teenager, that sort of thing. So I thought I'd go back and investigate my books. Uh, and then I saw um, a local um, doctor, uh, psychology, doctor of psychology, who was also a hypnotherapist, offering an, an introductory course in, in it. And I thought, OK, I've got plenty of time, plenty of money. Why, why don't I go along, have a look at that? Perhaps it's something I can do on the side, which is something I now get very irritated about when people do that. Um, but so I went along, still being quite sceptical. And one of the things that the doctor said was that if any anybody's got any issues as part of the course we're going to resolve them and I didn't as far as I'm concerned I had no real issues but the only thing that that uh, uh, has been a problem if you could call it that was so ever since a kid I used to have nightmares uh, several times a week uh, to the extent that I'd, be, I'd wake up sort of punching shouting you know that type of thing but it never bothered me because it was normal I, I'd been like that all my life um, but the doctor said okay we're, we're going to work on that um, so we did a lot of hypnotherapy work, and, and I thought it was rubbish, to be honest. Um, I, I, I was very unresponsive. I don't visualize very well. Uh, IMRs didn't work. Um, just about everything he told me would happen didn't. And and at the end of our sessions, I said, look, out of respect, I said, I, I was sitting there with my eyes closed, just following along, but I said, you know, nothing happened. Uh, and he said, OK, let's just see how it goes. And I think it was about six weeks later when I realized that I hadn't had a, a nightmare since. And I thought, <laughs> OK, there's got to be something in this so that, that warrants investigating a little further. Um, so then I decided to do a, a, a diploma course uh, with him. Uh, and um, we, we took off from there. Uh, we, we took off with the diploma course, uh, again, with the idea of um, perhaps do it, doing a little bit on the side. Um, uh, and again, so I, I did that. Uh, and everybody was saying to me, well, the, the, the big thing now is um, you need experience. Uh, and that's the difficult part to get because you've got no clients. So if you've got no clients, you're not going to get experience. Um, and then I was uh, contacted. I, I've, I've had lots of things that have sort of fallen into place rather strangely uh, in my journey because I was contacted then by our local hospital or, or in particular the cancer unit. 
and they said um, we just understand you've just qualified as a hypnotherapist um, we use them as volunteers in, in the cancer unit it can be very effective but our ones have just left would you like to volunteer some time to us uh, and I was at the time sort of thinking quite uh, along quite a mercenary line if you like I was thinking okay yeah I could go in there see eight patients a day my experience will go through the roof really quickly uh, and then I can just disappear you know it'll be a nice experience I can go off make lots of money and so on um, so I, I went into the oncology unit started working with, with the cancer patients there uh, and 14 years later I'm still there <laughs> so this idea of disappearing and, and uh, doing stuff never well d- didn't materialize in that way I obviously I see a lot of clients do a lot of other stuff but uh, giving up that um, has never happened um, and, and that's sort of come full circle in, in lots of other ways that we'll come sort of on to later yeah um, and I'd love to kind of rewind back inside of that because there's so many things to elaborate upon there that I love the idea that you know, from that initial start, and I'd, I'd share a similar through line of, you know, think, being extremely skeptical, thinking it was uh, thinking it was BS and d- not visualizing well. So kind of a through line there. And I'd yeah. say that, tell me if this has been a finding for you that, you know, working, um, I've, I've clearly not done as much work with cancer patients as you have. I've only worked with a handful yeah. and they're coming in, you know, so often for, in, in my world, the way that I'd see clients, you know, here's the one that needs to increase appetite. Here's the one who's not sleeping too well. Um, yeah. you know, it's more, and even more so I see the, uh, I, I need this to not become part of my identity. So I still want to maintain everything I'm doing yet. This is just something I'm going to have to deal with over the next couple of months. I, I'd say that's, it's a through line that's popped up many times that, that, medical client that the pain relief client uh as someone who would argue that belief is no longer a factor uh in the hypnosis conversation we can look at all these amazing research studies involving the brain and neuroscience you can find two hundred eighty thousand plus uh pieces of uh you know research on google scholar we've got enough data that we're beyond the belief game yet still here's that pain relief here's that cancer patient that's coming in and they may be a little skeptical, yet I'd say that's a category that generally we don't need uh, the belief <laughs> to be effective. Yeah. How, here's the question, though. How, hmm. how did coming into that with the skepticism, let's say, inform you with working with these people going through cancer? Well, it's it sort of moving on sort of slightly and, and sort of jumping around um, because I, although I had the skepticism, um, my, my background was an IT background. So I'd studied maths and science and computer science and so on. So I had a very inquiring brain and very uh, empirically based. So I, I'm an evidence based person. You know, I'm not interested in, in the BS side of it. You know, <laughs> show me the research papers. Uh, and, and I went on from that point of view. One of the, the later things I did was um, I was in amongst the first cohort. And I still think there's only about a dozen in the UK to to actually study for a master's degree in clinical hypnosis uh, and I actually f- had to do my uh, research and decided I wanted to do medical research and so I've done a lot of studies in into those uh, sort of research papers particularly as far as cancer is concerned um, but I found that, that once I got into to working with cancer patients Although you did get a few people that, that were skeptical, um, the thing that I noticed that w- was very different on, on the belief was, first of all, people that are in that situation are generally quite desperate. Um, so they, they will clutch at anything that, that may sort of help them in any way at all. Um, but the other side of it that I found very, very useful 
uh, was the fact that um, I see them in uh, in that particular role. I see them in the hospital. I see them in the oncology yes. unit. Um, so therefore, because you're considered to be part of the hospital setup, um, I think you're already given a, a huge more uh, a huge amount of credibility um, because it might be the surgeons or the doctors have suggested, "Oh, why don't you go and see our hypnotherapist?" So therefore, you're part of the medical team, the oncology team. So therefore, the idea of being sort of slightly sceptical go, goes out the window uh, to some extent because you're another medical professional, if you want to call it that. I mean, that, that's probably the wrong way of calling it, but in their eyes you're another one of the team you're another one of the oncology team you wouldn't be here unless it was going to be of some use yes that's beautiful so, that, so yeah so yeah. what is what are some of the aspects that you're often working with in that environment uh, I, I work with basically with the whole journey I, I call it the cancer journey um, so I would see people from the initial diagnosis um, so that would generally be anxiety fear um, could be fear of death fear of the treatment fear of hair falling out with chemotherapy all those types of things so so very much um, sort of fear and anxiety and nerves um, quite often um, you will have to do um, very quick solutions very fast interventions um, because you'll quite often see people that come in and have a panic attack for something uh, whether it's the fact they've got to give blood, um, have a line put in, go into a scanner, that type of thing. Um, so you know you'll have a lot of fast interventions for that. Um, then we work alongside um, really working on the side effects of whatever treatment they're having at the time, um, because as as you mentioned, things like insomnia, for example, weight gain, are all things that we we deal with as hypnotherapists in everyday lives, uh, and all those are quite often relevant as being side effects um, for chemotherapy and radiotherapy and various other therapies so we would deal with that type of thing uh, pain control as you mentioned is quite a common thing uh, there is uh, interesting research including my own research showing that that pre and post surgical hypnosis can help with the recovery quality certainly the psychological psychological aspects of it uh, and then we would work on uh, sort of post uh, uh, cancer if you like so we would work with people that perhaps um, it's been a bit of an eye-opener to them so they might want to change other areas of their life uh, in certain ways um, we may go on and help people sort of improve their life um, I mean, a, a very good example I had recently uh, was a lady that I found absolutely inspiring um, I saw her just over a year ago uh, I think it was about 15 16 months ago um, she was th she's 31 and she had colon cancer and initially uh, they told her it wasn't they didn't think it was too advanced um, they were going to do keyhole surgery and remove part of the colon uh, they got in there and found that it had spread like wildfire. Mm. Uh, they ended up breaking all her ribs, um, removing the, the, the entire colon, uh, putting in a colostomy bag, uh, all sorts of things. Um, she was in a huge amount of pain when she came round. Um, and they decided because it had spread, she needed chemotherapy uh, instantly as well. Uh, she reacted to that, um, died four times and was resuscitated. Um, I was called in still in a hospital bed to, to work on pain control. And uh, she was in quite a mess. Um, but I'm now still working with her um, uh, sort of 15, 16 months later. I'm working with her for um, improving her triathlon performances. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, we, so we go on that, that side of thing. And then uh, the other side, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, with some people, the, the journey has quite a sad end. So um, we do work to an extent with end of life care that that's not an area i do a huge amount with because we then have specialist counselors uh, and also they, they tend to move into a, a hospice environment which is outside if you like of the oncology unit uh, so quite often that is where 
my remit ends although we do do a little bit of, of that type of thing uh, and and the other thing that a lot of people forget that we do a huge amount of work with is the the partners or the family or the carers yes yeah it has a huge psychological impact on those sometimes more so yeah, so I, I love the aspect of just getting the phone call. Is this something you can help up with? And 14 years later, that's still a lot of what you do. Um, let me ask you this, because I, I know you do work beyond working in that environment, correct? Uh, yes, I'm a general hypnotherapist. Right, so, so how how has time. that, yeah, how has that specialty, how has that experience helped to inform, let's say, quote, the standard issues that we'd also see as, as a hypnotist? Uh, well, I think um, th- there's a big crossover. Um because uh, to, to an extent, um, anxiety is anxiety, whether it's anxiety about having a cancer operation or whether it's anxiety about losing your job or relationship issues, it's still anxiety. So you, you're still, still going to work with it probably in very similar ways. Um, again, things like insomnia, nausea, those types of things are all very, very common. Um, so therefore, you can transfer the skills from one to the other, vice versa. So you can transfer the skills from the cancer patients to, to general patients and vice versa. So so, so really, it's a, there's a lot of similarities. Um, I, I found it didn't impact so much on my hypnotherapy as uh, as techniques uh, as such although over the years i have perfected a lot of techniques and a lot of pro- of approaches that i think are very suitable for cancer patients um in particular a lot of them um will have to be fast interventions and a lot of them quite often you will only see a patient perhaps once um they might just pa- perhaps feeling a bit panicky or a bit anxious or it might be the day they're having their chemotherapy so they've got a couple of hours to kill and, and if you're available they'll come in and see you and work on something um so it's not something you're necessarily going to do a lot of sessions to, to work on an issue so so you have to look at if you like very very short very fast interventions uh, which i wouldn't necessarily do in my normal practice um i tend to work to a, a three or four session protocol um i like to do things like parts work i do do regression to cause if necessary and so on which is something that is is very little used in in the oncology arena um for example generally if they're anxious we know why they're anxious it's because of the, the cancer journey they're going through so going back to finding causal issues and so on are, are generally pretty irrelevant in, in that sort of environment and i'm smiling over here because i'd share that i've heard some speak in the you know in the medical arena concerning hypnosis that no no no, this model of work doesn't fit this model of work isn't good there you can't go to the doctors and uh start talking about the elman regression to cause Fortean model of things because that's not their language and to, to hear this dialogue that you just shared is i think a message a lot of this community needs to hear that just like so much of the let's put it in a different context you know the the nlp training that would say that this person's a visual this person's in time everything is state and strategy dependent so when they're in this mode that might be that they're visual but when they're over in this mode they may be entirely auditory and completely you know swap the other way in terms of time the same way that look at these techniques and to recognize that, well, this environment calls for that, this environment calls for that. And here's this situation where, because um, I'd imagine as much as you can make the statement that, you know, in the one-to-one session when I'm working with someone over a series of appointments, that quick, rapid style isn't necessary. But I'm sure there's moments where you've pulled that out because you just saw that this is the right way to go right now. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And certainly if you get somebody coming into you having a panic attack or extreme anxiety, yeah, quite often you're, you're hit straight off with a very fast intervention because that, that gives you a basis to work on. I mean, one, one of the things that, that I teach, because um, I do a lot of mentoring for, for people to work with cancer patients, and, and as you know, I do workshops and so on. Uh, and one of the big key things, which I would say with any patient or client, uh, not just cancer patients, but the first thing you need to do um, is stabilize. That, that to me is, the, is always the, the key word, stabilize, stabilize, stabilize. You, you cannot work with a client or a patient unless they've been stabilized first. There's no use piling in, doing regression or all these fancy techniques if they're, if they're sort of anxious and on edge. You Can you elaborate on that? What do you, what do you mean by stabilize? Um, get, get them in into a place where you can do the work. You don't want them in a heightened, anxious, panicking state. You know, I, I see people or, or hypnotherapists that advocate, oh, yes, they come through my door. They've got this problem. First thing I do is do regression with them. No, I don't want to. You know, if you, if you like, a nice, safe place. Get, the, get them comfortable. Get, get, get the negativity and the stress cleansed. Get rid of that so that we've got a, a stable, comfortable person to work with. Um, I'll get, give an example out, uh, like that, if you like. Um, I had somebody approach me for doing some work with an IVF patient. Um, she was having her fourth and last round of IVF, resigned for the fact that she would never become pregnant. Um, but she'd also ha had a lot of work issues, uh, which were causing her stress and anxiety. Uh, and uh, the first thing I said to her was, I said, Look, I know you've come for, for the IVF. Yeah, that's what you've been recommended to see me for. But you've got these other issues which are stressing you and causing you anxiety. That, that's going to be having some sort of impact. Let's work on that. Let's get you sound, happy, calm, stress-free. Then we'll work on the other stuff. Um, so we did a couple of sessions on that and she was remarking out how much better she felt about life and about everything in general, how everybody was commenting on how calm and happy she was looking. Uh, and then we said, OK, now we'll work on the IVF stuff. And uh, anyway, it, um, she's now got a year old daughter. So, uh, you know, that, that, I think that's, that's quite a good testament to it. Yeah, I love that. So getting things in motion, you know, recognizing that things are in motion, but at least finding that grounding place that this is where we can launch the work off from. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, precisely. Just just not piling in there sort of willy-nilly without without them being in a place where you have a good basis to start with. Right. Well, I think that even just in terms of just human nature, that communication cycle, that yes, there's one school of thought would say that, oh, they're in the emotional state. You can ride that. It's the, the problem with that, though, is that you don't necessarily know of that exact emotional state is the emotional state that they're there to help you with. I mean, it'd give the uh, the quick example, an extremely generalized version of this. Uh, here's a client who came in for weight loss one time, and suddenly there's the spontaneous ab reaction. And it was triggered by the sound of an ambulance driving by outside. And, and she's the one calling it out afterwards. And I don't have the entire details to the story, but it triggered this memory of family member in the ambulance, uh, paramedics telling her, you can't ride in the truck with him. You have to follow behind. And he passed away uh, on, on the travel, travel to the, to the hospital. And yeah. to which she was the first one to, you know, she goes, that was so odd. I heard that sound. It brought back this memory and the tears were there right away. And then she perfectly paused and remember she's in the office for weight loss to go, mm. oh, but wait, but I was fatter then than I am now. Ah, that's weird. <laughs> which, yeah. her, her language. Um, it's to say that, again, we can have that mindset of let's go for this thing, let's get in there, yet the client is coming in for that specific issue. So yeah. there is value to stabilizing. Yes, we can use some sort of hypnotic intervention and change to make that happen uh, to allow this experience that, you know, we can now branch off of this more stabilized place. I love that term now and do the work from there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and the other thing that sort of changes the subject slightly is interesting. You, you mentioned about sort of the medical fraternity, the medical model, you know, not liking hypnotherapy or it doesn't fit with our view of the world. Um, that that I find quite fascinating uh, and 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 have sort of seen it firsthand and, and been able to change it. I mean, one of the, one of the things that um, I teach people to do in in my workshops is uh, is is learn not the lingo to try and sound false, but certainly in the cancer unit, I make sure that you have a full understanding of the terminology used in 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 treating cancer patients and you would understand the, the staging the grading and all sorts of other things not uh, and that has sort of two factors as far as i'm concerned one if you're then talking to the surgeons the oncologists it, it then you appear to know or sound as though you know what you're talking about so you, you're gaining a little bit more credibility i mean i always say to people you use academic language you know don't talk about regressions or and things like past lives and you know anything that's airy fairy you know don't even talk about hypotherapy talk about guided relaxation or something something like that uh, you know or, or give it academic sounding technique names um, because they're going to respond much more to that. Um, but I also find that the patients themselves, um, because you're in the the hospital, because you're in the oncology unit, um, they will come into me. And again, I'm just another cog in their journey. Um, so I'll say, well, what can I do for you? And they say, oh, well, I've got, um, you know, grade three, stage four breast cancer. Uh, I've got a pick line for my chemotherapy doing all this. And if you look at them blankly, um, you'll lose all credibility. You'll, you'll lose, uh, you know, everything going on. So you're expected to understand all the terms you're expected to know what they're going through in their journey otherwise you're going to lose all that credibility um, but I also found that that's worked uh, to benefit as well um, one I now find that I can talk to the doctors more and advise them on the use of language I mean good example the, the old thing that you say if, if a nurse says to you um, oh I'm going to give you an injection you might want to turn around I turn away because this might hurt a little bit mm-hmm. um, you're then giving a nice big powerful suggestion that this will hurt you know whereas if you say well you might want to look away and you'll feel a slight sensation that's far less emotive and it's going to cause far less distress uh, to the patient Uh, so I make a great deal of of doing that type of thing Um, but it was also interesting to to note that the big thing that I found was useful uh, was when I studied my masters um, because one of the areas that I found first of all having gained a masters um, it's something that the doctors will recognize you know it's a legitimate university qualification at a high level so therefore suddenly rather than sort of oh I've got a certificate in hypnosis the fact that you've got a master's degree in the subject that, that gives you a lot more credibility uh, and mine was useful because um, I decided I wanted to make it really difficult for myself when it came to doing my thesis and research <laughs> um, so I decided that and I was told that I was absolutely mad and, and looking back on it I probably was but I achieved it um, I decided I wanted to do medical research for, for my thesis uh, and I ended up um, doing um, research into looking at pre-surgical hypnosis and the effects that it had on the recovery quality in breast cancer operations <laughs> Uh, that's what I ended up doing. Uh, but what was useful on that was that to, to actually do the research, I become embedded in the multi in the breast cancer multi multidisciplinary team at the hospital. Um, so therefore, I was invited every week. Um, to the the team meetings so I was there not not interacting hugely um, but I was there with with the oncologists with the surgeons uh, with with the x-ray people and so on 
going through all the paperwork, look at looking at the scans and so on, and discussing treatment regimes for, for the particular patients. Um, because I was there, uh, and then I was sort of a face that they started recognising, um, it started being taken a little more seriously. Uh, and then because I was doing my research, and um, they were actually seeing the results coming back from their patients, and they were seeing how much they were improving after the operation compared to ones in the control group, suddenly I started getting taken a lot more seriously. Uh, and we had one surgeon who was very much on side because uh, as a student, he'd actually um, witnessed, witnessed an operation that had been done under hypnosis without anaesthetic. So he was already a believer anyway. Um, but I found it was it was very useful in that way to be part of that team with those qualifications, because then you're, you're you're treated much more of an equal um so rather than being some sort of quack from outside suddenly you're, you're becoming part of the medical model uh, and even going on from that um since then um, one of my practices is at, is at a gp doctor's surgery uh um it's there's um, about six doctors there and i get most of my patients there are referrals from the gps themselves uh, again because a, they've got confidence in me because of the qualifications. I can talk their language academically rather than airy fairy new age, uh, and also they see the results because the, the, I'm seeing their patients in their surgery. So of course the patients are then feeding back, and so they're seeing the results, and that gives them confidence to send more people to me. And I think that's the way that we need to break down the medical fraternity and the medical model is to be more academic, to to meet them on their own terms, uh, you know, to be well qualified and 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 try and. Move Move away from the new age quackery, if you like. Well, what's beautiful about that is that, you know, the, the catchphrase that I use for business in terms of breaking into a market is uh, be the expert, you know, be the peer, not the vendor. Uh, yeah. that you're, you are fully a part of that community. The same as there was there was a conversation, there was a conversation in one of the Facebook groups where someone was saying, someone was asking, how do I get more business clients in terms of working with sales motivation, in terms of working with, uh, you know, the mindset towards scaling up a business? And the answer is become a part of that community that if you're from the outside saying, I can do this without that resume, without that proof that you are part of what they do and you understand what they do. Um, it reeks of being false. And the fact that you're there in the work, um, again, it breaks past any bit of skepticism that might be there that clearly, you know, you're the guy who does that. Uh, tell me more about, because we don't have this over here in the U.S., having a master's mm. program. Tell me, tell me more about that. Uh, well, unfortunately, the, it's pretty much stopped now due to monetary reasons. But mm. uh, um, the the idea, again, uh, hypnotherapy in the UK is pretty much unregulated, as I, I know it is out there. Yes. Uh, the only difference we have is that we're not broken into states that have different rules. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> countrywide so it makes it slightly easier uh, i mean hypnotherapy in, in the uk is not regulated at all um anybody can call themselves a hypnotherapist uh, and charge money for treating clients patients whatever um with no qualifications at all i, I know so-called people that have learned off of youtube and you know set up as hypnotherapists um you know i, I know people that have got about five or six jobs and hypnotherapy purports to be one of them you know after a three-day course um so we do have a lot of problems with that we do have 
um, a lot of self-regulating bodies. Uh, but again, unfortunately, they have their own self-interests and generally they're, they're owned by the, the, the training companies themselves. Um, we've tried to legitimise it slightly in the UK, uh, where we have something called the Complementary Natural Healthcare Council, uh, which was set up by the Department of Health. Um, unfortunately, the funding then disappeared from it, so they're now a private company. Um, but they still the the idea behind it is they still have um, a core curriculum uh, for hypnotherapy. They they look after all sorts of complementary therapists, um, but they have a core curriculum. Uh, of minimum training, minimum standards, minimum hours, uh, and subjects that should be taught. Um, and again, it, it, they're only a voluntary organisation, but now what's known holds an, an accredited register, which if you meet their requirements and you're on their register, um, the General Medical Council now advise doctors and other healthcare professionals um, that if they want to refer outside the industry, um, then the government are satisfied that people on an accredited register are suitable to be referred to. Um, mm -hmm. So that gives us a little bit more credibility. Um, now, from my point of view, um, I'm actually on the professional specific board for hypnotherapy on the CNHC. I was actually voted by hypnotherapists in the UK uh, and I was actually one of, one of the team of three responsible for putting the core curriculum together. So at least I've got some input on what I think the minimum sort of training should be. Um, from my background on, on the Masters, the way that went was um, we had a training company that wanted to train to a high level and they decided they wanted to make it slightly more academic and they also wanted to, to try and make it accredited by university so it was a genuine university qualification. Uh, eventually they got in with uh, the University of West London uh, which essentially put a, a four, four and a half year course together, uh, part-time masters. Um, half of that was um, psych psychology, um, the other half was was practical hypnotherapy uh, there was a lot of um, essays involved a lot of practical work involved um, but the final 18 months of it and, and, it, and again it was done it was overseen and accredited by the university so it was done at master's level uh, all the lecturing some a lot of it was done at the university um, and the, there were lots of essays and, and uh, so on that we had to do um, but the final part of it was that you had to do um, a piece of primary research and, and a thesis um, to, to, to actually back that up uh, which was where my breast cancer pre-surgical stuff came into into play uh, because uh, again it, because I'd come from the, the science background if you like uh, and I'm a big believer in empirical evidence to me rather than just doing a a two or two or three week diploma and that type of thing i thought this is the way to go you know if, if i've got a master's degree um all these arguments about well i've got a certificate i've got a diploma etc etc or you're just a quack or whatever that all goes out the window because i've got a, a genuine university piece of paper yeah. behind <laughs> uh, and and the whole course was very empirically evidence-based so uh, again i found that useful uh, and i found find that it gives me an awful lot of credibility compared to uh, most other hypnotherapists yeah, unfortunately, due to monetary reasons, the company that, uh, that that was accredited by the university sort of fell out with them. Um, the owner since passed away anyway, and it's fragmented a little bit. Um, so um, unfortunately, the master's degree has now been pulled. It's no longer available um, to do. So we're stuck with only a handful of us at the moment. Um, but hopefully somebody else will revive it. I believe there's another university that are looking at doing a research-based um, master's degree in hypnosis, which, again, can only be a good thing. 
I mean, that's that unfortunate thing that it comes down at times to the funding for such a program. And we are still a very small community that there's a, a former guest, I'll generalize the story here, the former guest who was doing an amazing amount of neuroscience research involving hypnosis. And just suddenly the university goes, yep, we don't have the funds for that anymore. Uh, but but to have the basis of this, I of all things, I flash back to uh, somehow two random people that I met separately of each other. Um, local university at one point had a whole design your master's thesis program. Uh, and of course, they did theirs in circus history, like you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but such a program does exist at times that really it's taking pioneers. And I need to get Adam Eason on here at some point because I know he's got something of that style uh, possibly I, I, in the I, works. I, I, Adam, I know very well. He, he is actually um, got a tie up with the um, Royal uh, Royal Society of Medicine and also Bournemouth University. And it's actually him that's involved uh, in setting up the masters in hypnosis uh, research, as far as I'm aware. Beautiful, beautiful. So looking at the, the nature of bouncing back and forth between these two different um, styles of work, one in the in the cancer uh, hospital environment, and then the other working with primary clients, uh, working with the sort of general issues we would face, what would you say are those things you see the most of? Um, nowadays, I wouldn't say I say, I mean, it used to be the same as everybody else. Now, number, number one, I guess, is still anxiety and depression based things. And that's mostly because that's that's what the GP send me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think I'm I think particularly in the GP practice that, that I that I'm resident in, uh, I think I'm the sort of person that the, the doctors or two or three of them in particular, it's a case of, OK, yeah, they're depressed, they're anxious. Oh, we've given them all these drugs. They're still coming and complaining to us. No, nothing's making a difference. Oh, why don't you go and try hypnotherapy? Um, so so I probably get the the most is that type of thing um i'd get less weight loss and smoking now than i than i used to i think um probably because I, i'm probably a little bit more expensive well certainly more expensive than, than a lot of other hypnotherapists in the area so I, I i tend to find um i get a lot of referrals from other hypnotherapists and even psychologists and, and psychiatrists um that i tend to find now that i get the more unusual cases or ones that other people are not willing to to take on um, you know, even quite surprisingly, it's one area that, um, that that I've always been taught is contraindicated with hypnotherapy. But I, I mean, I've done some work with psychotics, um, mm-hmm. for example, uh, and that they've actually been referred to me by their psychiatrists, uh, which is quite interesting. So, you know, despite the fact that we might think it's contraindicated, um, there are certain psychiatrists that are quite happy for us to, to get involved. Uh, now, obviously, it's an area you need to tread very carefully yes, with. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, with, with techniques, um, because otherwise you're going to cause a, a lot more problems. Um, but it is an area I've done done work with. And another area I tend to do quite a lot of work with, uh, and that, again, is all GP referrals because they're seeing results. I, I seem to get a lot of borderline personality disorder work um, for sort of patients. Um, so, so a bit of everything, but, um, but I, I relish the more challenging things anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would you say that it difference is, though, aside from price, why you're not doing so many, uh, let's say, smoking and weight loss, mindful, you know, mindful of the fact that we as the practitioner, we get to choose the things we work with. We get to choose those specialties. Um, w- what is it that draws you to those, quote, more challenging issues, would you say? Uh, I, I think it is, again, because I, I like to push myself. I still want to learn more, um, push myself. Uh, and and to be honest, I mean, okay, yeah, yes, you make money, decent money out of quit smoking and things like that. But frankly, I find a lot of that quite boring. You know, <laughs> I, I, want, so I, want, I want things that are going to challenge me as a therapist as well, that I can learn from, that expand and grow from, not, not only as well as helping the client. Yeah. 
Beautiful. So in working with people, I know that we were chatting yesterday about the the mindset of streamlining the process, becoming much more uh, direct, building some systems. What, what's some of that thinking that you've put into the work over the years in doing that? Uh, well, again, um, it, it's do, doing the masters, for example, you, you're training for four and a half years. So you're looking at, at, at many, many different styles of, of hypnotherapy and allied techniques. So, uh, for, for example, you're not just looking at Ericksonian hypnosis. You're looking at, at uh, sort of, you know, traditional hypnosis. You're looking at Ericksonian. You're looking at solution focused. You're looking at psychoanalytical. So uh, and you're looking at NLP, EMDR, EMDR. You're looking at CBT. So you're taught all these backgrounds anyway. So so rather Rather than just being very limited to one sort of approach of this is how you do it um, you've got a whole armory of approaches sometimes completely different and completely polar opposites for you to choose from there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong one it's which one are you going to use or which one is your preference or which one do you think has the best fit for the client um, from then I, I've gone on to, to train with a lot of other people um, uh, conferences are always a good eye-opener because even if you just go and see somebody for an hour or two you might get the odd little nugget here and there that you actually i never thought of that or mm-hmm. yeah i could incorporate that particular phrase in what i do i can see how valuable that is um so again i i've, I've done that train with a lot of different people uh, a lot of people that i've trained with again are, v- are quite very effective but also quite blinkered that you know my way is the way that you should do things and and i've always been a little bit anti that to the extent of um, because uh, for example um uh, and i'm not going to name names but there's a couple of people that i've trained with and one in particular they said right you do it exactly like this you don't change any <laughs> word any phrase it's done it this is how it works and i've gone back and said ah, oh, but i now do this and do this and no 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 you can't you can't you can't yeah but i do and it works for me right yeah. um, so, <laughs> so so what i what i've done over the years is basically and, and particularly a lot of it's come from my oncology work um, um, you do what works. You know, you know, you get more experience, so therefore you become more experienced. You tend to have a feel, more of a feel for what's going to work with a particular client in front of you. Um, you find that the techniques that you've learned, perhaps you then combine them with other techniques because they then become more powerful or they become quicker to use or more effective. Um, and, and I found over the years that I've put a particular protocol, a particular way of working together um, that to me works with the majority of, of issues that I'm likely to come across uh, with the majority of type of clients that I will come across. Um, and I know of no other hypnotherapist that does it how I do. Um, and um, so that that's why I've decided to perhaps, uh, you know, one of my other workshops is now, uh, which sort of is both good and bad, because as I mentioned, I hate the idea of, you know, people saying you must do it exactly this way, um, because I think that's limiting. Um, but I've had so many people over the years when I'm mentoring them sort of, well, teach me how you do it. Um, so now I've decided, OK, I'll teach everybody that wants to know how I do it, <laughs> but with the proviso that this isn't the only way of doing yes. it. This is how it works for me. And, and, and this is why I believe it works for me, because I do this because I do this because. Um, and I'm a great one of, of sort of having a plan B, C and D. Um, I mean, some of the things I always tell sort of uh, newer hypnotherapists um, uh, about, um, you know, they, they say, well, give us some tips. And I always say, well, always have a plan B, C and D um, so that if something doesn't work, you've got something you can seamlessly go on to. Uh, whatever happens, uh, you must ensure that the client thinks that what was what was meant to happen, because otherwise you're going to lose rapport, you're going to lose confidence and credibility. So you've got to have both of those things in place anyway. 
uh, and then basically just go with the flow from there. And, and also, I, particularly in my pre-talk and even the way that I style things such as ratifiers and the way that I work, um, I try and get to a situation where the client has no wriggle room at all. They have nowhere to go apart from where I want them to go. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> to the extent that a ratifier cannot fail um, because, yes, you might think, oh, that has failed. But in the client's eyes, it hasn't. That's what was meant to happen. So they've got no way of getting out of it. Um, I've got ways of doing parts work, which is quite authoritarian. So there's none of this, oh, let's take forever negotiating parts. This is what's going to happen. Nice. Uh, and, and, it, and it does happen. Um, again, if you get the pre-talk exactly right, um, they've got nowhere to go apart from where you want them to go. Uh, and that's a big part of sort of the, the, the approaches and the protocols that, that I've put together. It's, it's basically it's so defined that the client has no choice but to go this way. You're, you're guiding them exactly where you want to guide them. But yet they think that that is natural, normal, and that's naturally happening. And what's great about that is, I mean, I can give you the example of yesterday was a day where every client I was seeing was I got a new promotion at work and I have a fear of public speaking. And not for the sake of novelty, every session was different. I mean, even from the different style. I mean, I'd even ask you if you explain hypnosis differently uh, in the two different environments you tend to work. Um. Not hugely. Um, I must admit, in the hospital environment, uh, they get a lot less explanation. Yes. Uh, not not because um, well, not not for well. The main reasons is time. Um, if I'm seeing a, a, a client privately, uh, generally uh, my first session would be ninety minutes or up to ninety minutes. Um, sessions after that, uh, generally an hour. Um, and obviously, I then have time for for writing up, analysing, reviewing, and so on. Uh, whereas hospital appointments are forty five to fifty minutes tops, uh, including everything. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, and that that's dictated by the hospital. Um, so, the, obviously, you're much much more limited uh, in, in that sort of environment. So, you do explain it differently, but mainly in a more sparse way, if you like. Yeah, beautiful. So, where can people find out more about your work online? Uh, well, there's two things. Um, I've got a website which um, currently isn't working because <laughs> it, it, it got hacked and then the... Um, the well, well, this is the, where we uh, reveal to the audience that we are recording on December 4th and through the wonders of uh, batch production. This is coming out January 10th. So you've got a month and six days to figure that crap out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, except I'm going to be in the Caribbean for a <laughs> Oh, even better. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there the will be a website, uh, which is releasehypnotherapy.com. Um, but I put a lot of research articles actually on, on my Facebook page, uh, which is also Release Hypnotherapy. So if they look for Release Hypnotherapy as a Facebook page, um, I put a lot of research articles on that, newspaper articles, and anything I can find that is relevant will, will go up onto there. So uh, it's a useful resource for people to actually use as, as a hypnotherapist. Outstanding. Uh, it's been wonderful having you on here, Gary. Uh, yeah, thanks for, very much for, for having me. And uh, again, I hope to see you. Uh, well, I guess next I, next time will be stateside, because <laughs> uh, because as you know, more and more, I tend to be spending more and more time at conferences and teaching over there as well as over here. 
Jason Lynette here once again. And as always, thank you for sharing this online, leaving your reviews. Head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to get the links to Gary's website, as well as his HypnoThoughts Live 2019 training. And also check out worksmartbusiness.com. Before the book launch, that's how you can get a free copy of it digitally. After the launch, that'll likely redirect over to the page on Amazon, helping you to work smart on your business and your hypnosis and many other work smart projects coming down the pipeline rather soon. I'm Jason Lynette. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. 